This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NFL show. I'm Nora Pinciotti. I am here today with Danny Heifetz and Ben Solak. Uh, ben Solak just called me ma'am off air. So I'm going to start by asking Danny Heifetz how he's doing today. Danny, what's up? I'm fantastic. I mean, Solak calls me ma'am too. I think it's just a very polite young guy. It's just his verbal tick. It's just, it's right, just Solak. instinct. Hi, Nora. You're, you're, hi, Ben. Good you're out of the doghouse, I suppose, after 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, it's very good to see both of you. I'm excited to do a little uh, Ringer uh, draft show, Ringer NFL show crossover event here. Mm-hmm. Bring you guys back over to the good side. I will say, I find your intro of all of the NFL show host intros the most pleasant. Because I, I oh, waffle between so Kevin, who's, Welcome to Ringer NFL show. I'm Kevin Clark. Hi, I'm Kevin Clark. He's joined by the best line for Zaddy. And Heifetz, who literally be talking to us at this volume for the entire pre-show. And then we'll descend upon the show at a ridiculous volume that we often turn our, our mics, our, our audio down for. Uh, Nor just intros the show. I find it delightful. Well, that's very nice. I, I have been told that on um, another podcast I frequent every single album, I have a real habit of enunciating the first letters of people's names. So I'll say Nathan uh, to my co-host Nathan Hubbard quite frequently. I don't know that I do that with Ben, Kevin, Danny. It might just be an end thing. It's hard you only to do s- that when you call people ma'am. Or when they call you ma'am, that's yeah. when you drop it on them. It's I've also been told that me yelling is very pleasant, Ben, so I don't know. No, you haven't. No, people are lying to you. It's <laughs> never happened. There's a Danny Heifetz setting on a white noise machine. There's a few people tuning into that every night. They try to get some shut-eye. That's really creepy. ASMR. Right, let's do a football podcast before I say something weird. Uh, Too late. We are going to spend today having so much fun checking in on some rebuilding teams because it is the off season. It is time for hope. It is time for progress. It is time to 
think about all the ways in which so many teams across the NFL have have gotten better and made enormous strides. Just kidding. We're going to tell some teams that they haven't gotten better. Uh, We are going to go through a bunch of teams that we designated as rebuilding based on their having switched quarterback and at least one of their general manager or head coach in the last two off seasons. Now Mm. we also grandfathered in the New York football giants, uh, just because our guy, Danny Heifetz was going to be here and we knew he was going to come with the takes. They changed that coach. They switched coach and GM baby. Yeah. But so we said they had to have switched quarterback. It could uh, be they either or. Daniel Jones's option, which is spiritually right. So let's on. we're we're letting it count. Um, yeah. and then same goes with the Steelers because Kevin Colbert's leaving. Um, the one thing that we did was we crossed out some teams like the Saints, where there was um there was a switch, but it was to someone who was sort of an incumbent and not yeah. necessarily far be it from like us to tell the Saints ship. that they should be rebuilding. I do not think that would go over well in New Orleans. Exactly. Like telling John Um, Wick to just like, maybe you guys can talk this thing out. Goes against their very nature. So the teams that we wound up with are the Giants, Jets, Broncos, Texans, Jaguars, Eagles, Lions, Bears, Panthers, Falcons, and Steelers. And we are going to put these teams into categories based on where they are in the rebuilding process and how it's going. I am, of course going to try to get through this entire podcast without using the word tears. Uh, Wish me luck. It's going okay so far, I would say. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time. um, And Ben and Danny have graciously agreed to try out a fun little segment with me that we're going to call, I'm going to call it Better Know a Unit. Stephen Colbert used to do Better Know a District way back in the day. I used to always think that was a fun segment. And we're going to uh, dive into the Packers defense a little bit with that. So bear with us as we give it a whirl, but I think it's going to be fun and informative. And what could be better than that? Tears. Mm. Tears are better than that. Tears, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> uh, random take purges. Those are good. Yeah. Uh, was this a rhetorical question? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Um, so let's start with our rebuilding teams check-in. And so we've got three categories that we separated all of those teams into. Uh, ready to compete, an off-season away, might be an o- more than an off-season away, and then off-track. And what I want us to do is go category by category and see where we matched up, see where we assessed teams as being in the same spot and where there are some differences. And I always like to end on a positive note. So why don't we start with the rebuilding teams that don't seem to be doing so well, that seem to maybe be off track in the rebuild. Uh, ben, will you tell us which teams you designated as off track in their rebuilds? Uh, okay, so I have three teams as off track. I have like three and a half teams as off track because there was one team that I just could not get into one of these groups, not tiers, uh, as hard as I tried. So for me, the Steelers, the Panthers, and the Jaguars are clearly off track. Uh, the Panthers to me are the easiest one. Uh, keep pounding. That roster sucks. Uh, it's pretty clear to, I think, me and to a lot of people outside the building that they have a lame duck head coach. Once you have a lame duck at one of the two primary decision-making spots, head coach and general manager, you're in a really bad spot to me because you're letting that guy influence decisions. And he kind of, 
has a sense that he doesn't have a long-term outlook. So now he can be you know, more aggressive in the short term. You kind of look at the Sam Darnold trade and trading all those future picks. As an example of the Panthers, have, they then had the sixth overall pick, took Ikem Aquano, and it's like, all right, we'll check, check in with them in the fourth round. When they pick again, it's like that's a horrible position for a rebuilding team to be in. So to me, the Panthers are very clearly off track. The Steelers are a difficult one. Uh, I don't think they're contending. I think that's pretty clear to see. The defense obviously has some stretches where it looks dominant because it has some dominant players. I think if it's Patrick and TJ Watt. Um, but in general, I don't think you can really win emphatically on defense in the modern NFL. And even if you could, I wouldn't rank this defense up there with some of the truly elite ones, the truly devastating, suffocating ones. And so I don't think they have that. And then I think there's a lot of turmoil on offense, where the offensive line is it has to be completely retooled. They have changes at wide receiver now that Juju's gone. And obviously, Chase Claypool had a frustrating year. They have a rookie running back in Najee Harris, who looks to be quite talented. And then they have Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, not the quarterback I would have taken at 20, in the, in the room. It's very hard to figure out what you hang your hat on here, especially when they've gone through uh, an offensive coordinator change and they still have Matt Canada, who Matt Canada was struggling to hold down a job in college and is now locked in as the Steelers' offensive coordinator. Very peculiar. So to me, the Steelers are listless. They're a little bit uh, without a rudder, without a paddle right now. I don't know what they're trying to do. And like you said, there's a GM transition as well. To me, that like off track is a little bit unfair. I just don't think they're on the track yet. I don't even think they've like, kind of even really started this thing here. They're just, you know, dealing with getting bad. So I want to hear about the rest of, of your off track list in a second. But Danny, where did you fit the Steelers in here? Because I did not have them this low. I think this is interesting. I don't have them this low. And it's also this is rewatchables esque because I don't totally know what the categories mean. Tears, whatever. The I I interpreted ready to compete as could this team compete for its division? And if the answer is yes, so I put the Steelers in ready to compete, which is funny because I kind of agree with Solek they're off track, but you have to skew, you have to give them a curved grade because right. the Steelers and the Ravens, like the AFC North, it's defined by competition. The Steelers are always in it. The Steelers are always able to make the playoffs. The Ravens are always make the playoffs. So I feel like the Steelers are doubling down. I don't feel like they're ever a team that's a year away. Although I agree with Solek that they're off track from Super Bowl contention. But I also kind of wonder if the Steelers will just get better. I think, personally, I think Ben Roethlisberger has been holding the Steelers back for like two plus years now. So even a Trubisky or even Kenny Pickett eventually might just straight up be better, if not because they're more experienced, but at the least, this freaking offense was so held back by a bad offensive line. But Roethlisberger just kind of made everyone look worse because he had to be in shotgun and he couldn't throw deep. And it was like defenses, there was no element of surprise. They knew exactly what to do. And even if they're not maybe as experienced as Roethlisberger, Trubisky or Pickett being more mobile, not having to be in shotgun. They also upgraded their offensive line. I feel like the Steelers' offense will get better just because Roethlisberger's not playing there. And then they have defensive pieces, and I feel like they address certain spots they needed, like a cornerback in the offseason. So I feel like this team could win the division. So in some in some ways, I was a little bit inclined to agree with you, Hyvitz, and I, I put them as an offseason, at least an offseason away. But if anything, I felt like it was a little low just because they went 9-7-1 and one last season with really, really poor quarterback play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. the, the thing that held me back, though, is that while they did work on their offensive line somewhat, I mean, they get James Daniels, Mason Cole in free agency. I, I'm not super convinced that that is going to be a fixed issue. And then the problem is that you're going from Roethlisberger, who I agree was holding them back, but 
who was, who had completely committed to this play style where he was getting the ball out in like 0.0 seconds. And now all of a sudden, Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett right. is supposed to do this. Like, and if I, if there, here's my thing. I'm, I'm with you guys until we put the names to the players. Like when I say team that moved on from aged, poor veteran quarterback, drafted a first round quarterback, signed a new corner to, got a new middle linebacker after their, their, the guy that drafted me, their, their star middle linebacker is struggling, added two new offensive linemen to a room that desperately needed it. And I don't put the names to the players. It's like, yeah, all right. Like this team went nine, seven and one last year. They made a lot of the adjustments that they seemed like they needed to make. They're there. They're pushing. But once I put Kenny Pickett, Levi Wallace, Miles Jack, James Daniels, and Mason Cole, plus also Mitchell Trubisky, and I plug those names in, this no longer feels to me like a like a like a, a team that actually can compete, which I was thinking about competing in terms of like a playoff run, right? Yeah, and that's and, that's fair because I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't say the Steelers are a Super Bowl contender. I'd say they're a yeah. playoff contender. And that's why they land in off track for me, is because they are behaving like a team. And this is like I would have done the same thing to the Saints if the Saints were here. And the Saints kind of have a good roster too. They are behaving like a team that has a reasonable outlook on winning the division and winning a playoff game. But when I look at their roster, I do not see that outcome. And accordingly, they're off track because their their expectations and the way they're building relative to those expectations is dissonant relative to where I view them as a team. I just can't, my, I refuse to let my barometer be moved that much by Mason Cole. <laughs> this, right. this is what it boils yeah, down to. one Mason on a team. Is this a rule? It's, the Jets uh, have like yeah, two, unofficial. two have a Brees and a Bryce Hall. Well, that's the, the no, Patriots the have like four cornerbacks team. with the last name Jones. Well, yeah. that's why I have the Jets as an offseason away because the Jets are building their whole team out of people solely comprised of like they also have the other name on the team. So they have they drafted two guys named Michael Carter last year. They have a quarterback named Wilson throwing a receiver named Wilson. They have a Brees and a Bryce Hall. They need one more offseason where they can get like two more of those combos. That's five, That's like going to be like 10 yeah. people. That's like you could do a whole starting unit almost 11 people who just all have the same the name. Jets it's like, still, that's the next level. Do the trickery. Jets still have one of the two offensive linemen named Connor McGovern, or is he not there? Because there are two offensive linemen in the league right now currently named Connor McGovern. That's so weird. I'm pretty sure are it's Denver do? and Dallas. Which is also, you get the alliteration there. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know there were two Connor McGoverns, and I have a lot of questions Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. Because Thank like, I've always that, actually wondered like, about that. From the knowledge. Yeah, I actually have always had trouble keeping track of what team he was on, and actually now I understand why. I've only ever, I, I think I've been more aware of Dallas Connor McGovern. Are we sure there's two? Are we like 100% yes. sure? They ever been seen in the article, same room article at the same from time. the Jets Wire, October 16, 2021. New York Jets versus Dallas Cowboys. Who has the better Connor McGovern? Okay, so there we go. <laughs> the Jets incredible. have to get the other Connor yes, McGovern. The Jets did and they have, have half to play, the Connor McGoverns at one point. Once they play both Connor McGoverns on the offensive line, then they will. Then the Jets will be. Then Step three, profit. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, the Incredible. Steelers to me are off track, <laughs> <laughs> as are we on this podcast. Um, the only other That's team that I for. had as off track was the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, which, in terms of off trackness, the vibes are the best. But like Trevor Lawrence is great. That's cool. But whenever you make consecutive first round, first overall picks. And in that period of time, your head coach departs in disgrace 
and your general manager remains, even though absolutely nobody wants him to remain, and the entire fan base was wearing clown outfits in week 18 to ridicule and mock you for retaining him, and then the guy he takes at one overall would have been taken like eight overall by anybody else, you are by definition off track. We didn't even get into Zay Jones and Christian Kirk contracts. Like, Lawrence, it covers so many warts, and that's why it feels a little bit weird to put them as off track, because they have this guy, and he played extremely well last year. Uh, the film is incredible. But overall, I, I cannot in good conscience say that the Jaguars are on any sort of track. This team is discombobulated, and I hate them. Yeah, it's like when Moneyball, when he's like, there's 40 feet of crap, and then there's us. The Jaguars have had the worst record in the NFL two years in a row, and it's not even close to the most embarrassing thing about them. Yeah. Womp womp. Danny, was there anybody on your off-track list that uh, Solak didn't hit? Yeah. Solak, where do you have the Chicago Bears? Thank you. Is that like a like a user oh, error? I have, I have the Bears an off season away, or maybe more. What? It says I or maybe explain. more. It says or maybe more in the thing. Here's I, I struggle. I struggle. Okay, but but come on, explain. I will phrase the question thusly. Explain how the Chicago Bears are moving in the right direction. Because there was nothing. There was nothing to do this year except for sit there and take one on the chin. Uh, I, I, as much as I love Justin Fields, and as desperately as I want the Bears to do nothing but draft offensive linemen and wide receivers, sign offensive linemen and wide receivers, and give him everything necessary for him to be successful. I understand why, and this goes back to don't let lame ducks hang around for another year. I understand why Ryan Poles looked at this team and how it was managed by Ryan Pace and said, all right, we just got to get rid of a bunch of contracts. We have to take a step back, take a step forward. Not for nothing. It's what the Giants are doing this season in terms of letting a bunch of contracts that they probably want to move on from hang around for a little bit and 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 not taking a massive cap hit this year to subsequently make a lot of those guys leave next season, that could have been an option for Poles and the Bears. They could have been right. Let's keep Khalil Mack. Let's keep Eddie Goldman. Let's keep Akeem Hicks. Let's try to keep Allen Robinson. Let's try to feel better about ourselves because it looks better in terms of keeping recognizable names and big money deals on the books, but functionally, it's not that much better. I am far be it from me to say the Bears roster is good. It's not. But I do think that the, that the approach of Ryan Poles to clean house this year, become extremely cheap relative to the cap, and have a ton of cap space for next season to make aggressive moves, I do think it's defensible. I would have liked, draft-wise, for them to be a little bit less oriented on drafting like 24-year-olds. That would have been great for me. Uh, trading and acquiring future capital would have been awesome and made more sense relative to this, so it's not perfect. But I do think that the Bears have a clearer idea of what they're going to do over the next two to three years relative to the teams that I put uh, in the in the the blow tier, the uh, off-track tier. And so for me, there, there are multiple off-seasons away, but they are at least see the path and they're on it. I don't disagree with anything you think you said. I just kind of think it's a narrow definition because there's off-track through the lens of like the GM who's got hired. And I think that you're right about that. But Ryan Poles coming in and being like, wow, this is disgusting. It's a mess. And you just start with the basics of like, oh, I'll just dump out the beer cans and like put stuff. It's still a mess when you clean up the initial round. But if you just look at are the Bears on track? Absolutely not. Like I like the G Ryan Poles is doing his best. But for fans just looking at the logo who don't care about who has to clean up the mess, you just look at the house. You're like, this place is disgusting. They have like one of the worst offensive lines in the league, one of the worst receiving cores in the league. And I could I, and I actually think they both got worse this offseason. The front seven certainly got worse. They got rid of Khalil Mack. They got rid of Akeem Hicks. Like, I, I get that that had to be done. 
But when you're looking at this, I think Bears fans are probably viewing this through the lens of Justin Fields. They haven't had a quarterback in 30, 40, or 80 years, depending on how you count. And it's like Justin Fields was the guy who was supposed to change that. And he, as bad of a situation as he was in last year, I don't know if he's in a better one this year. And like that to me is like the definition of off track. Yeah. Fields is what makes it really tough because like this, the roster is bad. But like I go back to that 2019 Dolphins team, right? First year of Flores when it was like, all right, they are so clearly going to tank. And you look at that, that, that starting <laughs> roster, right? And it's like, all right, we got Kalen Balaj running it. Alan Hearns is catching it. We got Avery Moss and the other guy, Samson something, rushing the passer. It was, it was abysmal roster. And they start 0-7, and they finish the year 5-4, and 4, which is a lot to Flores' credit. And obviously, we now know a lot about what was going on behind the scenes there in Miami. But in general, like that roster was horrible. But they were on track because the plan was to be terrible. It's just for that team, they had fits. They but did I don't not think that's the Dolphins. It. That's the Houston Texans because the Dolphins had an expansion team three years ago in 2019. The Texans are the team now with the expansion team. But that, but the the Dolphins don't didn't have like a quarterback at that time where they're right. Like, the oh. Dolphins, the Dolphins right. timeline there was not out of sync with. Yes, that, the goal was to get Tua. The goal was to get Tua. Yeah, that's that that's the difference, and that's what makes it 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 frustrating and difficult. So if it's off track because they have the quarterback and now they're tanking the roster, I 100 percent hear that. Uh, and 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 you made the really good point, hype. It's where it's like that makes the Bears off track. I want yeah. to cheese this by being like, well, no, it makes Ryan Pace off track. But Ryan Pace was the Bears, and the Bears were still exactly. dealing with those ramifications. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I think Ryan Poles, who received a lot of criticism on draft night, had a little bit more defensible of an approach than a lot of people are, are representing it as, and certainly as I feel it should be, because I love Justin Fields and I want him to be good. But yeah, like the Bears are net off track because of the decisions made by ownership to let Ryan Pace hang around. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'll move on. <laughs> well, I was so like I was I was compelled by your argument. And look, if we can give give Bears fans some hope, I think that's a thing worth doing. I I just quarterback is the most important position in the NFL. It is arguably the most important position in sports. Justin Fields is not a perfect quarterback, but if he was the young quarterback on a team that I rooted for, I would be more happy than not that that was the case. Mm-hmm. And. I, I think it's pretty scary to see the new regime handed an undeniably super crappy situation, but wind up saying, look, we were dealt a bad hand. And if that means that Justin Fields has to go into the season with Darnell Mooney, Equinemius St. Brown, Byron Pringle, Dante Pettis, and David Moore. And a, a very old, very very old draft no. pick. If a guy can't make it, I, in the I'm not the thrilled NBA. about hold what up, that signals. Hold, hold up, right now. I want to elaborate what Nora just said. Like, I, I just if you, you just look at the Bears roster and you actually look at who's going to be catching passes for Justin Fields this year, it is just a collection. I, I do fan, a lot of fantasy football during the NFL season. It is guys that if you're in a twelve, maybe a fourteen team league, these guys are not on rosters. Equinemius St. Brown, Tajay Sharp, Byron Pringle, Pettis, as you just said, all those guys are not rostered in any size of fantasy football league that's ever been done. Tajay Sharp. a really spectacularly bad wide receiver. The, how are like, they supposed spectacularly to evaluate bad in, in a way that, like, truly, if they had 
I don't know, taken a, a, a George Pickens, a Sky Moore as just a look. We don't have a lot of options, but this is what yes. we can do for you, Justin. We're sorry. It would make me feel meaningfully yeah. better. And yeah. that's why, like, uh, the way polls approach offseason leading up to the draft, I was like, all right, I see the vision. And then when you get the super old speed serve from the SEC for his punt return value in the second round, as opposed to just taking like a massive swing on George Pickens coming off of the injury or on Sky Moore coming from a, a group of five program, like that at least is like, all right, this makes sense relative to the timeline, right? We're trying to get a guy in here who, you know, it, it's a second round receiver, so it's not super likely he's amazing, but there's usually one amazing second round receiver a year. Let's just take a swing at the, at the plate, see if we can hit on that. That'd be sick. That would help accelerate our timeline. Vilas Jones is not that. Vilas Jones is like, oh, we need a speedster and we also want to round out our return unit. That's the behavior of a contending team. You are the Chicago Bears. Don't do that. Do something better. So wait, so 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 you had so now we're putting the Bears, Panthers, Jags in that off track, Steelers in a weird one. You said one team was like half and half. Can I guess which team you didn't know what to give a category? Go ahead. Was it the was it the Texans? No. Uh, oh, the te- okay. the, you, you said the Texans are, the, are an expansion roster, right? I would have agreed with you last season. This season, the Texans are, are rounding out this roster, I think, fairly well. Uh, like, again, do are Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison and Marlon Mack and whatever, like, you know, an extension for Brandon Cooks, are these, like, the cornerstones of the healthiest franchise in the league? No, these are, like, middle-tier veterans. You know what I mean? Like, guys who are a little bit older, but still. They are plugging gaps in the roster. They're still going to give young guys the opportunity to fight and win jobs, right? Like Christian Kirksey is not going to prevent Christian Harris from getting reps. You know what I mean? Like they're, 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 right. they're still going to be in a developmental place. But in my opinion, they have done the appropriate thing in terms of inundating the roster with uh, young talent and then middle-tier veterans who might be able to hold things down for a little bit longer than we expected or might have better legs than we expected at a certain position or in a new role or whatever. Um, and so the Texans are still certainly an offseason away. Um, they're kind of like, you know, what we would maybe hope the Brown or the Bears, excuse me, would have been after this offseason in the sense of, like, they were super discombobulated with, the, with head coaching and general managing because it was the same person. It was Bill O'Brien a couple of seasons ago, and they had to kind of slow things down take a really bad year, take a gap year, and now they kind of have young, potentially fine talent in a bunch of spots. We're going to kind of see what this looks like over the course of next season. I, like that to me is like that that long arc rebuild where the roster is so devastated that you can't just snap your fingers over one year and turn it around. This is what the outcome of that should look like. It's not exciting. It's not thrilling by any stretch of the imagination, but there's, there's solid to good players in a lot of spots. And you're starting to figure out who our franchise guys are and who they aren't. They're at the start of the track, but they're on it. Yeah. That's how well, I felt about them. The, I didn't want to put them in offseason. And I don't think they're off track because of everything you guys just said. But putting them in, in offseason away felt funny. I had them as two offseasons away from being two offseasons away because that's what it feels like their track is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's that's what slow it is. Right slow. now, yeah. right now it fe- like, that's how it feels. And I think the hope is that at the end of this season, they're able to sit down and they're able to go, you know what? Derek Stingley is a franchise cornerstone player. <laughs> like this is like this is a, this this guy can be like defining for us relative right. to the next five years. And then they can look at like Nico Collins, right? He was a third round pick last year. I thought he played fairly <laughs> well at receiver and say, Collins is a clear starter for us opposite Brandon Cooks. We now don't have to address receiver. And you just start to knock some of the positions off your board that you like have to continue addressing. You see what I'm saying? All right. So let's give a Nico Collins takes. So we got to move on. Uh, Danny Heifetz, give us your off season away teams. 
So again, I, I interpret this as an offseason away from can this team win the division and like really truly expect I like to that because we're talking about rebuilding teams and and definitionally there are not a lot of rebuilding teams yeah. ready to contend for so, a Super Bowl. So I'm I'm with you on that. So I have the Giants, I have the Jets, I have the Falcons. And then again, I the Texans I put in their own category, two off seasons away, two off seasons away. And I actually I'll put the Lions. Mm-hmm. The Lions is kind of also maybe in that middle category, but I think they're more appropriate here than anywhere else. But really, the Giants, Jets, Falcons, I will say fully with my chest. I think those teams are an offseason away. I can elaborate on any of those that you want. So talk to me about talk to me about your hometown New York Giants. What is the path here? Well, I think that it's really important to recognize the path they're already on. The Giants have the worst record in the NFL in the last five years. They have 100 losses in the last 10 years. And three months ago, the Giants were the laughing stock of the entire league. Or sorry, four months ago, I guess we're in May now. It's crazy. Four months ago, if I can remind you, Jake Fromm was starting for the Giants and on third and nine did a quarterback sneak at their four-yard line, like their own four-yard line on third and nine because Joe Judge was so worried that they would get a safety just by dropping back. Like they, that you don't see that in high school football. They were literally, and I mean this, this is like the ultimate insult you could give an NFL team, to, I would say to their face. The Giants were not a competitive football team in December or January of last year. And in, since then, in just four months, they fired the GM Dave Gettleman. They fired Coach Joe Judge. They have declined the option for Daniel Jones. They brought in the B- Buffalo Brain Trust that turned Josh Allen from a laughingstock quarterback into like, you know, the guy that everyone wants and oversaw, like, the biggest turnaround. They hired those guys to run the team, and then those teams went and got Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, the pass rusher, Evan Neal from Alabama, the tackle, who, if you just look back at all the mock drafts in January, were literally the first two players off the board of, like, every mock draft. So I say all that to make this point. There is no, if all the possible outcomes from the Giants when they were, like, quarterback sneaking on third and nine, the Giants are currently on the best possible path from that day to today. And so I don't know where they're going, but if you consider the division, there is not a better path they could have taken over the last four months than what they have already done. Ben, is there a better path for the Giants than the road currently being traveled? No, I I, I agree with with Hayes. I think it's good. I brought up their cap situation relative to the Bears cap situation and the different approaches earlier. The Giants could have decided this year to like take massive dead cap hits and clean house, right? Like, they obviously have Daniel Jones one more year. They're probably going to keep him, whatever. But like Saquon's on one more year, 7.2 million injured, hasn't been playing super well. We're not going to extend him. We're just going to leave him there. Kenny Galladay's making $21.5 million, whatever. We'll keep that on our roster for right now. Um, they have like the big defensive line contract as well. Leonard Williams, who could be extended and 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 see that money change a little bit. He's going to hang around. They have Dory Jackson who's on big money, whatever. Fine. We're just going to leave all of these guys who are potentially leaving in 2023, Blake Martinez, at Julian Love. We're just going to sit and kind of take an evaluation year. We're going to let these good players hang around. And especially on offense, they're also going to help us figure out what our Daniel Jones situation might be. Because I don't think they're fully out on extending Daniel Jones. I think they would like to see what he looks like with a new offensive coordinator and a new offensive approach. And if it's okay, maybe we'll let him hang around. So they could have, like, James bradbury everybody. But instead, they just James bradbury James Bradbury. <laughs> go Birds. Uh, and now <sighs> they kind of have this, 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 year in which to do some evaluation, see who they want to extend and restructure, see who they want to cut and potentially move on from and, and 
build the team out from there. And so I do think they're an offseason away. I do think they're on the correct track. I love the hires that they've made as well, which to me puts them in, in, in a positive light. Another team that um, is doing, taking sort of the alternate path and eating a lot of dead cap money this year uh, is the Falcons. Ben, were they also <laughs> on your offseason away yeah, list? Yeah, Fa- Falcons are an offseason away. Um, and I think the Falcons are a good example of why it is important to understand in what year, at what time, do we have to kind of sit on our hands and accept the fact that we have to let the mistakes of the past front office, the past guard, unravel themselves because in year one of Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith, they should have full sended just letting contracts play out, taking some dead money on the chin and, and accepting the fact they were going to be bad. This team traded Julio Jones, the contracts into the sun. Yes. Some might say they, they extended Julio or they extended Matt Ryan, restructured Matt Ryan and traded Julio Jones within like a month of each other. That is objectively bad business. Because it just it, those two things pull in such opposite directions that it doesn't matter and which way you're, you're trying to head, you did something wrong because <laughs> they're right. polar opposites. So now, right, you're in a position where you have to take a bigger Matt Ryan dead cap hit this year, and you lose uh, you forty got million, less, yeah, back in trade and trade value. Of course, well, like, the single biggest cap hit for any player in the entire league is Matt Ryan, who will not be in the Falcons. Like that's yes. worth. With that, I, I, I'm reaching the point where I think we're going to see a, a single biggest cap hit like every single year for the rest of forever. You know what I mean? Like we kind of we've broken yeah. that record like three times in the last three years. But right this year, Matt Ryan wears the crown of I. I'm getting a bajillion dollars from a team I'm not playing for. Like it's bigger than what the sick. Chiefs are going to pay. Like the, the bigger than the Chiefs cap hit for Patrick Mahomes is the Matt Ryan mm-hmm. cap hit for the Falcons, who he's not on. I would bet. Yeah, and to Ben's earlier point yeah. about just sort of conflicting strategies. Yes, that's true. It does seem like we're getting a a record broken in this area every year. Matt Ryan probably had more value in the moment when they chose to take that on than Jared Goff or Carson Wentz did in the moments when their teams did the same. I mean, the Eagles traded Wentz for more than... Both those guys were coming off a Super Bowl loss. We're we're talking about the dead cap at the time of the trade, right? Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, literally, the the Colts traded more for Wentz than they did for Ryan a year later. So it's right. So it is, it is, it is true. So maybe that's right. fair. But you also I get guess, age I, I guess and what I mean by that is I just think yeah. better of Matt Ryan. But I agree, right? I also would trade more for Matt Ryan and be more willing to take on a larger cap, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think the weird part of the Falcons being an offseason away is like, I mean, you look at again. I look at this as a division. We talked about the Panthers. Matt Rule, bless his heart. They're going to be rebuilding again next offseason. The Saints. I you know I stupidly believe in them a little bit, but Solak is probably correct that the Saints kind of seem primed to possibly implode this year into next offseason. The Bucks, if they lose Tom Brady, will certainly implode next offseason. The Falcons kind of can just sit pretty, and if Des, I I Solak has radicalized me into believing Desmond Ritter can Let's be a starter in the NFL. They've got a, enough of a core of, even if Calvary really gets traded, gets something for him next year. And then you still got Kyle Pitts, who's incredible. You've got Drake mm-hmm. Ludden, who hopefully is incredible. You've got, a, you know, Chris Lindstrom on the offensive line, Grady Jarrett on the defense. They have Assembling enough. Assembling a group Terrell. of large men. Yeah, yeah, they have enough people there that if Desmond Ritter actually can play quarterback or Marcus Morata doesn't suck, if the Bucks and Saints implode, they could totally compete for the division next year. Yeah, uh, that that big men comment is an important one. Not just because I like uh, big football players are fun. Big, healthy but, young yeah, men. Healthy young men. But 
Uh, strong young men. When you look at at how teams get built, right? Um, there are coaches and general managers who very clearly have a certain philosophy about how their their team must be built in order to play the way they want to play, right? Matt Eberflus. The Falcons' philosophy is to be the Titans. Yeah, right. Exactly. So the, the best example is Arthur Smith, who very clearly just thinks if you are smaller than he is, you can't play for him. It's just like I just need, I need. Right. And Matt Vrabel, John Robinson, Arthur Smith, they're all just like back when they were in Tennessee, they're like, we're just going to be as huge as possible. That seems good. And they're winning some games. Works for them. Honestly, uh, I kind of respect the strategy. It absolutely. Totally makes sense. You need guardrails. You need a way to, to say when you're faced with a pool of 800 draft people or 200 free agents, wh- how are we going to winnow down to figure out who we want to look at? And the Titans said, well, right. who are the big ones? Because those are the ones that we're going to look at. Who's large? Yeah. It's kind of like when you go to dinner and you're like, well, I'm not ordering chicken. I can make that at home. And you don't even look. It's like, they're not even there. The people smaller than me, I don't even see them. You got to get vision. So for the Falcons and for Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot to adopt a roster that was left behind by uh, Thomas Dimitrov, the ex-general manager of the Falcons, who prioritized uh, very heavily athletic testing, particularly agilities, right? Look at the way this offensive line is built. And they're drafting Matt Hennessy, right? They're drafting Chris Lindstrom. These are not big dudes. Uh, that did not jive with Arthur Smith. That means things take a little bit longer. Relative to somewhere like, I think, the Bills taking over the Giants is a spot where the Bills just believe in, we're going to, like, all, all offensively Brian Dable. We're just going to spread and shred. You can dime a dozen that a little bit. You can get Isaiah McKenzie yeah. into the building, right? There's There's a lot of five, nine receivers with speed just kind of sitting around. We can just go grab one and move. You know what I mean? You kind of get to react a little bit quicker. Uh, and so the Falcons get put on a little bit of a slower timeline because it's very clear their head coach believes uh, if they are not large, I cannot play them. <laughs> Why is it so funny? It's like... God's football. It's dumb true. and it's awesome. It's just like very, very goofy. Um, okay. So that's the Falcons. Uh, ben, was there anybody that you had an offseason away that yeah. Danny did not mention? So, right, my full off-seasons away were the Giants, the Texans, uh, the Lions, obviously the Bears, we kind of debated it a little bit, um, and yep. then I had the Falcons as well. I The team that's my question mark is the New Can York. I guess? Go ahead. Oh, I heard, yeah. I was going to guess wrong. I was going to guess it was the Eagles. No, I mean, the Eagles, I, I mean, I put the Eagles ready to compete because I wanted to, but also we got to be honest about this team. We're getting a little bit out of control with the hype. <laughs> uh, the New York Jets are my team where uh, they are just a massive question mark for me. And the reason for that is very simple. I am just, I, I've yet to see it from Zach Wilson that makes me really believe it. Wasn't a big Zach yep. Wilson fan coming out of BYU. Wasn't a big fan of what he did in year one. Had his best stretch late in the season. We love that. That that That's, you know, a good building block. Jets fans are like, let's see. What best. we want to see. Yeah, Jets fans are like, let's see, two good games in December. He's a starter. That's not how that works, man. Trevor Simeon had two good games in December once. Y'all remember that? Like this, <laughs> we got to, you know, there's, there's a little bit more we got to get under our belt here. So we're um, Sean Fennessy's just nodding. Yeah. And so the thing is, uh, like, I, I imagine Jets fans will be a little bit upset about this, but also like, it, it, it's not anything about Joe Douglas, who I think, deserves a little bit more scrutiny on how he's built the team. And it's not anything about Salah, who I like quite a bit. It's just very simply, I struggle to place them because they've made good investments at receiver and they've made the investments in the offensive line and they've been aggressive drafting and a bunch of stuff that you like. I just don't know if they have the right quarterback. And if you don't have, if, if, if I think you don't have the right quarterback, you're kind of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like you're doing the right things to help improve him and you're running the system to help protect him. But I also just don't think he's the guy. And so I, I very much struggle to orient myself on the Jets simply because of, of my Zach Wilson opinions going back for the last couple of years. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. I actually completely agree with everything you just said because I think I also just don't believe in Zach Wilson. And if Zach Wilson's great, every Jets fan I know in real life and every Jets fan listening can just shred me forever. I don't and think deservedly he's very good. so. Yeah, go for and, it. But I just I don't think Zach Wilson is good, and I don't think he's the guy exactly as you said, Solak, for like a variety of reasons we don't have to get into right now. But I will say that in terms of this exercise, like are the Jets ready to compete? In my mind, for the division, Buffalo's there. No, Patriots. No, they're not. But. This season is is a success for the Jets if Zach Wilson's good. And, mm-hmm. and in the world where, you know, maybe I'm wrong, if Zach Wilson is capable of being good, I think we will find out this year. And if he is, they're the definition of a team that's an offseason away. Because if Zach Wilson's good, then yeah, you know what? It's time for the Jets to try to make a serious playoff run. And so, well, at least make the playoffs. I guess let's just start there. I, I, I but I just don't think they will. But in the world where Zach Wilson's they're an okay. O- they're an off-season away from something, right? Yeah. It's either yeah. being a contender to make the playoffs, probably not through a clear path to, to winning the division just because of how good Buffalo is, but they are a, a team that you see winning, you know, 10 games pretty easily and being in the picture. Or they are an off-season away from, because of the work that they've done to make the overall roster much better, 
they're an offseason away from knowing that they really don't have it at the quarterback position and kind of needing to be back at square one. Yeah, um, I think so. They're an offseason away from something, although I don't know why we're even talking about this because obviously all the, the Jets need to do is get both Connor McGovern's on the roster. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The McGovern need the Connor McGovern's in the New York. Yeah. I, um, I would love to believe that the Jets could see a seven and nine season where Wilson has good flashes but generally struggles and some of their, their other young pieces come along nicely and give them the support they wanted to see, but Wilson just isn't fully there, and that they internally say, all right, he's probably not the guy. I would be surprised if they can pull that off. Number two overall pick with Joe Douglas likely feeling a little bit of heat uh, to make sure that he starts to deliver on some of these first-round picks. Uh, I know I talked about that a little bit pre-draft. And Jets fans like, how dare you suggest that Joe Douglas have any job scrutiny whatsoever? I don't know. Win a football game. Then we'll talk. Um, so we, I, I just think we could get to that point where the Jets are kind of middling. They like beat an AFC playoff team in week 14. They like beat the Titans or something. And then Jets fans like, this is it. <laughs> yeah, baby. Here we go. Chest. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I watched this team do this exact timeline with Sam Darnold where it was like, dude, watch these 15 throws that Sam Darnold made random times in week eight in the third quarter down 21, he's going to be good. And it's like, fellas, you got you to gotta want for more in your life. Yeah. Uh, I think so where I, I, I disagree with it. you, though, I, I feel like I, I see what you're saying where Joe Douglas deserves a little more scrutiny. But I disagree. I actually think what's really going to happen is if Zach Wilson doesn't make progress is that Mike LaFleur, the Jets offensive coordinator, will be fired. That's the person actually on the hot seat. I do not see the Jets giving up at Joe Douglas, especially after turn Jamal Adams into those two first-round picks. That would be stunning. And I don't see Robert Sala getting fired. I think that the reality is Mike LaFleur, who was the, uh, the the passing game coordinator for Kyle Shannon and the 49ers, which, you know, I, I mean, there's one thing to come up in Shanahan's system. It's another to actually call the plays and develop a quarterback. They don't run and think, Shanahan's offense there. You know what I mean? They run LaFleur's, like LaFleur's offense, right? So I, I hear what you saying. Yeah. I, basically, I just, it wasn't, I will just say he was not like the most experienced person to come in and develop Zach Wilson. And then, look, there's also a lot of road bumps. I mean, Greg Knapp, who was supposed to be the, the experienced guy in there and the quarterback's coach for Zach Wilson's rookie year, he passed away, like, right before training camp last season. Like, the Jets have had bumps. But I think that if Zach Wilson has two years in a row that are disappointing, Mike LaFleur is the person to get fired. I think Joe Douglas and Sala and everyone will, and, and Zach Wilson will stay there. For sure. All right. I think we've, so my list was um, the same as Danny's plus the Steelers who we talked about. So shall we talk about some teams that that we think are ready to compete here? Uh, maybe, Ben, you want to kick us off and talk about the Eagles? Yeah, okay. So the two teams that I had as ready to compete were the Lions and the, and the Broncos. I have the, or excuse me, the Eagles and the Broncos. I have the Lions as, <laughs> I was just, sorry, my bad, my bad. The Lions hype is so out of yeah. control. The Lions hype so is so out of control. It's ridiculous. And because the Lions hype is so out of control, the Eagles hype, which is absolutely getting out of control, doesn't look as out of control. It's a sneaky, <laughs> sneaky out of control. Um, the Eagles uh, had a disaster, an embarrassment of a defense last year. They had a first-year coordinator in Jonathan Gannon, who came from the Matt Eberflus and Mike Zimmer trees, wanted to live in a too-high world, did not have the tools on the roster to do it, taking over to Jim Schwartz's defense that was not built to do so. Uh, they have taken substantial strides to give him the tools necessary to run that defense. Jordan Davis, first-round pick, nose tackle. Two-gapper, going to make the numbers work in the running game. Hassan Reddick, Sam Linebacker, Anthony Barr in, in Minnesota. He's going to be able to rush. He's going to be able to drop. They're going to be able to run odd front, odd spacing stuff, exactly what you need. They just signed James Bradbury, one-year, $10 million. Is Bradbury the guy he was in 2020? Probably not. Is he 
better than every corner the Eagles have had over the last four years not named Darius Slay? Yes, this is the best corner two the Eagles have had since Sheldon Brown, man. This is like, they, they, they do not invest enough in this position, and they kind of had a, a great free agent fall into their laps. Again, he might not be 2020 Bradbury, but he's more than sufficient for what the Eagles need. Nicobe Dean in the third round, Kaiser White, they have some more bodies at linebacker. I'm not as sold that that's going to work, but whatever. Safety is still a question mark, but in general, they have improved on all three levels of the defense to be able to run what they want to run. And then offensively, where they were clearly a good enough team to make the playoffs last year to beat some bad teams, they have another year of Jalen Hurts, they have a second season for Devontae Smith, and critically, they have the A.J. Brown acquisition, one of the best moves of draft night. It's going to give them a target over the middle of the field, going to give them a true receiver run, give them a big body because they have a lot of small bodies at receiver. All of the soft season stuff is great. They're probably still not actually a contending team. And it's because of the the loud part about Jalen Hurts that we try to generally keep quiet, which is that playoff defenses really don't fear him as a passer. Uh, that game against Tampa Bay was eye-opening in the wild card round. Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay defense just did not think he could outthrow them. I've never seen such a disrespectful defensive game plan in a playoff setting. Where it's like, oh yeah, well that guy can't throw it on us. Let's just stop the running game and then we're, we win. Like it was, yeah. it was a, a a game plan that took an hour. You know what I mean? It was like uh, watching all of the teams play the Steelers for the last yeah, two years. Right. It, it was just, just, just no interest in having to defend the middle of the field. No interest in having to defend the deep post. Like stuff that you should be scared of, they just weren't scared of. So if Hertz can get that, sure, it's a contending team. I just, I just don't think he can. And much like Zach Wilson, I've never really thought he can. Coming out of Oklahoma after his first year in, in Philly, I was never really fully there. And while he has continued to improve, I'm still not fully there. So they are ready to compete with an asterisk, which is we have to continue to prognosticate development and growth for a quarterback who admittedly has an incredible work ethic, has grown a ton over the last five years of his life, but probably still isn't going to suddenly start to make these throws that he's just never made at the NFL level in year three. Uh, and so ready to compete, but we should probably, you know, tap the horse reins a little bit because this this wagon's getting out of, out of control. Uh, I kind of think that's kind of cute because I feel like I just watched you like talk yourself down where you're like, hold oh, yeah. on, hold on, Ben. Yeah. No, we're not going to win the Super Bowl. I have, like, that I, was like I, I, have, I have a tweet from like a couple weeks ago where I was like, I'm so ready to participate in all unnecessary out of control Eagles hype and then just completely save face on like August 15th. Like right before okay. like, the season so can starts. You, can you like do that again, but instead of competing for the Super Bowl, just can this team win the NFC East this year and just do that again, but optimistically? Because yeah. as a giant, like if you're the Eagles, I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, the Cowboys literally got worse and now Washington has Carson Wentz. So if you're the Eagles, you're looking at this, you're like, why the hell can that we right. not win the division? Yeah, I think they can. And uh, they weren't favored after draft night. They're still not favored. The Cowboys are a slight favorite. I think they should be the favorite to win the division. Uh, they have a better trenches than the Cowboys on both sides. The Cowboys are going to have some, I think, expected understandable defensive regression after living off of turnovers last year. The Cowboys had uh, changes at the guard at wide receiver as well, which is going to introduce some uncertainty into their passing game. The Eagles look better than the Cowboys. With that said, because I'm not doing the full optimism thing, the Cowboys quarterback <laughs> is clearly better. And when push comes to shove and we get two teams, you know, right a game or two above 500 with four games left, you really generally prefer to be on the side of the team with a better quarterback. That's just how the, the, the rules of the league tend to go. And so I think coaching staff-wise, the Eagles are better. I think roster-wise, the Eagles are better. I think general manager, the Eagles are better. I think youth and, and, and cap health, the Eagles are better everywhere. I also think Dak is markedly, measurably, demonstrably better than Jalen Hurts. And if the Cowboys win the division, that'll be why. Uh, prediction, we are not going to hold you to whatsoever. But just for fun, Ben, how does this Eagles season end? 
Uh, eleven and six, win the division, losing the wild card round again. They're gonna I, they're gonna I, face the the second best team from the NFC West as the five seed when they're the four seed, or they're gonna face the second best team from the NFC South. No, hopefully the NFC West. Otherwise, they're winning a playoff game. Uh, so they're gonna place the second best team from the NFC West uh, <laughs> in round one. They're gonna get beat by the Niners or the Rams or the Cardinals, whoever it is. I think that's on. Go the Birds. Game. Yeah, baby. And then uh, then we're gonna go get Kyler, and we're gonna be twelve and five. And do the exact same thing. It's gonna be sick. Beautiful. It's a beautiful Bring story. Bring me your short Oklahoma quarterbacks. All right. I, I, I've got to imagine that we're all in agreement that the most ready to compete team on this list is the Denver Broncos. Uh, Danny, can you tell us sort of what trajectory you see them as being on? Yeah. I mean, if we're being honest, I don't know if this is a rebuild. Like, I, they're probably like, like they're here technically. I think the reality is they brought the rust trade is to compete with Kansas City. I mean, sticking with the... I know we want to jump right to can the Broncos win the Super Bowl, but the reality is I'm sticking with the division thing. Did you guys know yeah. the Broncos have not beaten the Chiefs since September 2015? And the good. quarterback was... Not Manning, right? It was Osweiler? Oh, I got to check that. I, my little fun fact was like the same day they beat them, Jeb Bush was debating Donald Trump in the Republican primary. Like oh That's how God. long ago this was. Is that a so, fun fact? No, it was Manning. Third, 13 games in a row. No, it was. The Chiefs have beaten the Broncos. Yes, it was Manning. And then they played him with Osweiler later that season. They lost. There you go. That, this better. only Peyton matters Ma- to me. Yes. But Peyton that's Manning beat example. the Chiefs. And Peyton Manning has then waited five years and then been inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We played another season and the Chiefs have still not lost to the Broncos since then. That's how long <laughs> it's been. This trade, I think, externally, we're like, oh, Broncos Super Bowl. Internally, it's to beat the freaking Chiefs. I love that Ben Solak's uh, impulse there was, how does Brock Osweiler fit into this anecdote? What is his place in this story? Because Osweiler was the Manning to, to Manning to, or 2015 was the Manning to Osweiler year. So I was Manning like, how hilarious yeah. would it be if the last time the 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 uh, Broncos beat the Chiefs was Osweiler, which Osweiler was all first, worth it. It was his first start penny. in 2015. The Broncos were seven and one. Uh, they lost to the Chiefs 29 to 13. Brock Osweiler threw for 146 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Shout out, Brock. Shouts. Two years later, Brock he would be Osweiler. traded for money from the Browns to the Texans. I remember Brock Osweiler, they because he was like six foot eight, right? They brought yeah. him out to try to block a field goal once. I remember this vividly that someone was trying like a 50 plus, like a 55 yard field goal. And they brought him out just to jump. They wanted this six foot eight person with long arms to just jump and, and, and obviously didn't come close. And I've always wondered, like, if he had done that and been really good at that, like, what would have happened? Would the, Seventh would round start pick having of the NFL draft, Taco Fall, baby. Yeah. Like, would people just start having six foot eight guys just come out and, like, block field goals? Designated long field goal kick blocker. The DFGLKPB. Anyway. Of the roster. <laughs> He had a better, Brock Osweiler had a better chance of being good at that than quarterback. I don't know how On we're that talking note, about this. <laughs> uh, let's see. Have we missed any? I, I think that's a pretty comprehensive list. Um, we didn't really touch on the Lions. Did we miss? Um, Not really. Yeah. Uh, Which, I had them in, in offseason away. I think we all basically did. Yeah. And yeah, I think for everybody who's placed their Detroit Lions to make the playoffs plus 400 bets, sure, that's fun. Uh, they're not a quarterback. I love I what they're they, doing. Everything what they're doing is great. They're they crushing it. I think, yeah. So here, I will say this about the Lions. I'll give them this. I think that we're now in this era where we've 
almost transitioned from get the quarterback, figure everything else out later to like, actually, if you can swing it, it's pretty great to build everything and then try to have a quarterback come to you. And like, you know, we're seeing varying degrees of success, but like the Rams built it, traded, got Stafford that worked. The Bucs built it, thought we were, they were building it around Jameis. Brady came, they won. Again, the Rams really built it around Goff and they're like, ah, and they swap in Stafford. And then you're seeing Broncos built it around five different guys. Russ comes in. And that's really what teams want, right? Teams really are kind of like building a bird's nest and they're hoping they get a really pretty bird to come in and like their nest. They're like, I'll come here. And we talk, the obvious ones you've, are like You've been watching Eagles. documentaries? You've been watching some, some I love David Attenborough? I yeah, love brother. David Attenborough so much. So, Craig and I literally did a podcast on Planet Earth too for, um, uh, I think it was- Sauce an invite TV next said. time, man. Dude, I, I love David Attenborough. There's a new one coming out on Apple. Uh, it's like Jurassic something. But yeah, David I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. David Attenborough, yeah, yeah. I cannot wait. Anyway, it's the bird nest. That's all these teams are. They're like, come, come stop it and stay. The Eagles, ironically, bird's nest are like the obvious one, right? Because they're not Jalen Hurts. Look at all these players. The Lions quietly are building a fantastic bird's nest because they quietly have like a pretty good offensive line that gets no credit Very because no one cares line. if Jared Goff gets tackled. But like Panay Sewell, and then you've got Taylor Decker at ta- t- Taylor Decker at tackles, Frank Ragnall, like they have a very good offensive line. And now their skill guys are freaking um, DeAndre Swift, Amon Ross St. Brown, TJ Hawkinson. They signed DJ Shark. Like Dan Campbell seems like a fun guy to play for, like on like way too much, you know, creatine and, and caffeine. But like this is quietly a pretty bird's nest. It's a good place for a veteran quarterback to go. If you want to compete, especially if Aaron Rodgers were to ever leave Green Bay or retire. Right. All right. Lovely. What a lovely bird's nest we've created here. Thank you. Thank you both for uh, assessing some rebuilds. Uh, Shall we try a new segment? It's exciting. It's very exciting. Um, What's the name from again? Is it from it's from Rewatchables? No, so Stephen Colbert on his old okay. show used to have this segment called Better Know a District where it would just be about like a random con- congressional district somewhere. And I thought it was very charming. Uh, so if it's doing units, the, I, I would like to pitch the name Absolute Units, especially within light of our conversation about the Atlanta Falcons roster. Yeah, I just feel like it's been done. Okay. I, that's fine. I, okay. I, but, I like Solak's so, name. All right. Well... So maybe we're renaming the segment in, in real time. But this is this is better know a unit, a.k.a. absolute units. Uh, Green Bay Packers defense edition. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to hit you guys with some just basic biographical info about the Packers defense. And then uh, Danny mentioned the rewatchables. Kind of rewatchable style. We've just got a few categories. And we're all going to give um, our answers to the calling card of the Packers defense. It's superpower and it's kryptonite. And hopefully we're all going to leave with a greater understanding and, and greater appreciation of this very unit. What do you say, guys? I love it. Okay, I'm cool. In. So coordinator, Joe Barry, entering his second year. Uh, base is a 3-4. Highest paid players, Jair Alexander, uh, just post-extension, going to be earning $21 million a year. Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Devondre Campbell, Adrian Amos. 
highest graded players last season, according to PFF, Rashawn Gary, Devondre Campbell, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, Rasul Douglas. 2021 rankings, they were 13th in points allowed, 9th in yards allowed, 22nd in DVOA, 18th in EPA per play allowed. So that's your basic picture of the Packers defense. Let's start with the calling card. Ben, what to you exemplifies the Packers defense? Drafting first rounders from the University of Georgia. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So in all seriousness here, uh, the Packers draft approach, especially in the first round, gets a lot of guff because they could draft receivers for Aaron Rodgers and instead they do other things. But in the last two years, that other thing has been drafting a first-round defensive player from the University of Georgia, which we like to joke and be like, oh, you know, it'd be a good draft strategy. Just draft all the Georgia players. In this case, like, it actually kind of is working and makes sense for Green Bay, who, when Green Bay was losing in the NFC Championship games in, you know, 2019 to the Niners, it wasn't because Rodgers needed another receiver. It was because Mike Pettin didn't really have a good handle on this job and because they lacked talent on the defense. And so... uh Last draft, 2021, they took Eric Stokes, a corner out of Georgia. At the time, I don't think they thought they'd luck into Rasul Douglas playing as well as he did, but they did. And that was a really important pick for them because it let them move off of Kevin King, who was a substantial liability for them, especially come playoff time. This year, they have two first-round picks. And what do they do? Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia. Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle out of Georgia. They have invested very heavily first-round picks in this defense, clearly with the idea that Rodgers offensively is enough for them. And if they can round out the defense, they'll be a complete balanced team that can make a playoff run. And if not for the fact that they forgot the third unit, which is special teams, they would have had a proof (laughs) of concept last year in the playoffs. Uh, Because this defense did not give up a touchdown to the San Francisco 49ers. And they still lost that game. Which is unlucky and why it's always tough to read results out of of wins, losses in in a one-game series sort of a, a league the way the NFL is. But the calling card for the Packers defense has been they are investing in high caliber athletes with high levels of production coming out of the SEC recently. This is a defense that is loaded at all three levels. I should have known that you would take a, a draft approach. I love that. Danny, what do you got? So, I mean, I, I, this is true rewatchables fashion to me because I don't really know what calling card supposed to mean. I kind of took it as... The, We're discovering the, together. Mine, well, mine goes in a completely different direction. Well, too. I like to They're be able to shape it. So when I saw calling card, I was like, what does that mean? And the way I thought of it was when the game starts and like Fox or CBS or someone has their little graphics to open up, like you see the player card pop up. And I was like, well, who pops up for the card for the Packers? And it's Jair Alexander, the cornerback, and Rashawn Gary, who is their edge rusher. And I think that these are two of the more underrated players. It's weird to think about underrated players being on the Packers, which are one of the five probably more popular teams in the entire league. But Alexander now is like the highest paid defensive back in the in the in NFL history, which is kind of a fake title, but it is what it is. He's really good, is the point, and he can do a lot of different things. And Rashawn Gary, honestly, wasn't like a bust to start. He just was, you know, a lot big expectations out of Michigan, and then didn't immediately meet them. And now is actually like really, really, really good. And I think these are two dudes who just straight up will just get a lot more famous this season because I think that their hype and fame will start to catch up with. Uh, their level of play, which there wasn't really enough oxygen for them to get any clout considering everything that was going on with Aaron Rodgers last year, but I think this year they will. Star makers. I like it. All right. Well, what I went with was that 
this is not exactly pithy, but they rotate a lot of different coverages. And in particular, that they end up asking a lot of the safeties and, and linebackers. So we've got Joe Barry, right, who worked under Brandon Staley with the Rams. Brandon Staley obviously being the inventor of too high. Uh, but even though the Packers line up in a lot of too high shells, Barry is quite, quite often asking them to rotate pre-snap. They play a lot of cover three, decent amount of cover one, some cover four, cover six, a lot of zone, which means two things that I kind of think of with this unit. One, you're playing against some confused quarterbacks. Very mm-hmm. good. 18 interceptions last season. But then the second thing, and this is really what what I wanted to drive at here, is that when I listed the highest paid players and the highest graded players, you're seeing a lot of safeties and, and linebackers relative to some other teams. And those safeties and linebackers in this defense need to be good enough to cover the middle of the field, which is why we see them up there on on the salary sheet. And I think also why the draft class, um, Quay Walker in particular, is exciting. So I, I think asking a decent amount of those guys is something that we see with similar defenses, but the Joe Barry iteration of the Packers defense, I think, in particular. Yeah, so that's my that's my superpower for them. Uh, the superpower for this team is the way that they get to match up with their back five, particularly, right? When you get to start Jair Alexander, uh, 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 Eric Stokes, Rasul Douglas, Adrian Amos, and Darnell Savage, there's not a lot you can't cover. Uh, Rasul, if he is what he was last year, which we'll get to that later, uh, that's the best corner three in the league, period. And, and they get to put a first rounder in front of him and then the highest paid defensive back in the league in front of him at corner. And the thing about Jair especially is that you can put Jair in the nickel. He's comfy. He's at home. Uh, and that's really, really cool because you aren't going to get got by teams that try to hide their best player by sticking him in the slot. If it's a big guy, it's a little bit tricky. Uh, I don't think they have a great tight end answer right now like the Darren Wallers and Travis Kelsey's of the world. But they just yep. drafted a 240-pound linebacker. That wasn't an accident. That guy can run. Uh, and so that they're clearly hoping that that becomes a little bit of a thing for them there. Um, but even then, you're living in a zone coverage world anyway. And so if they're going to hide that player there, yeah, you can. Uh, you don't have to tag him with man cover. You can play zone cover. And then you can ask Adrian Amos to come down and play in the nickel, which is what they do. And Amos, doggone good football player. Amos is one of the most underrated players in the league, period. Uh, he very quietly was the better safety in Chicago with Eddie Jackson. And he's very quietly, he's not better than Darnell Savage, but he's close. He's very good in Green Bay. And he's the guy that they have rotate down in the box and they have Savage play over the top. But Savage can also come down and play the nickel. He can play the slot. They are extremely multiple in the back five. If they hit on Quay, because Campbell's good coverage linebacker, and I saw whatever. It's fine, great. He's not a liability. They 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 don't have a clear safety three, right? They let Henry Black walk. They don't have a clear corner four, right? They let Shannon Sullivan walk. So they very clearly want to live in nickel. When you they want to play zone and play with two backers on the field at all times. If they hit on Quay, good night. This is a really, really impressive back seven in terms of coverage. Right now, the superpower is the back five and the, the flexibility it gives you, the way you can get into different matchups, the depth that you have, the ability to play on the ball, everything. This this, this secondary, starting secondary, one of, if not the best in the league. Woo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that goes well with the, the superpower I had for the Packers was basically just finding value. Like, they just find defensive value in all those players. I mean, Jair Alexander... Again, I mean, pretty pretty easily, I'll conservatively say one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league and probably a lot yeah. higher. I mean, they got him by trading back. Like, the Saints <laughs> traded up to get Marcus Davenport. 
the Packers picked up a first round pick. And, and then they still they, got remember, Jair Alexander. Yeah, and they traded they, they traded back, and then they traded up to go get Jair. Do you remember which team traded out of that pick? The Seahawks, I believe. And who did they go get instead? Uh, like Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny, yeah. baby. Let's go, Seattle. It's so funny. But like I, think of it, it's 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 truly incredible, honestly, if you think about it. But the Packers got Jair Alexander. Drafting. And then the next year, they have two first round picks. What do they do? They get um Rashawn Gary. And I think they picked up Darnell Savage with the extra first-round pick. Yes, sir. So they traded back, got Alexander Savage. And then, so that's what they're doing with their firsts. But they also signed Devondre Campbell last year for $2 million. I mean, Devondre Campbell, $2 million, was the number two linebacker on Pro Football Focus. He's probably the best free agent signing of, like, the last, I don't know, four or five years. And then you've also got, they just found guys the last few years to contribute. Like, like for all the, the crap Brian Gutekunst has got as their general manager, obviously he pissed off Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, a lot of people, including me, gave him a lot of heat for that. Mm-hmm. But he's also just found people. Razul Douglas, as Solek just mentioned, completed, you said what, Solek? Probably the best cornerback trio in the NFL if Razul Douglas is playing. Yeah. Razul Douglas was a million-dollar signing last year. Like, that is what? A 200th of the salary cap, right? They, they got Chandon Sullivan, who had like a walk-off pick to end the game against the Cardinals. I forget if it was mm-hmm. Douglas or Sullivan, but like he was fine for a little bit. And the Packers are just good at finding value, but still building a defense. Yeah. So the Packers have since 2012 drafted one first round player who's not on defense. He's an offensive player. His name was Jordan Love, quarterback at Utah State. That's you may have heard of him. Um, that So going from 2012, you have Nick Perry, who's a pass rusher, generally a hit, like not amazing, but fine. Deton Jones, Nah. Ah, Clinton Dix. Nah, 2014. Then we get to 2015. Uh, Demarius Randall. Definitely safety. Uh, safety, a hit. He's no longer on the team. 2016 is Kenny Clark. 2018 is Jair Alexander. 2019 is Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. 2021 is Eric Stokes. 2022 is Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt. They ain't missed. They have but not missed. The thing, but is that a mistake, though? Like, is, is the No, that's what I'm saying. Like, this goes back to my, like, the calling card of the team. Like I said, first-round Georgia players. But they have poured first round picks into this defense and you do not find this level of track record where like the second worst pick is Nick Perry or Haha Clinton Dix anywhere. The, the, the way that this front office has just constantly hit on first round picks on defense is unbelievable, which makes it even more unbelievable how well Mike Patton screwed over this team uh, for so many years. But now they have Joe Barry and it's fine. So that's a good, that's a good uh, segue for my superpower which, at least as far as last season was concerned, uh, was tackling. I have a little quiz for both of you. Who was the best tackling team in the NFL last season? The Packers, because you're saying it in the superpower section? Good guess, but but they were second. <laughs> oh, okay. They were second Patriots. by both... So they were second by both um, fewest missed tackles... And by PFF grading. Uh, there's a different answer for who is in front of them in both cases. I will tell you which one is which, but I will accept either answer. But Ben, you want to you venture a guess? I'm going to guess the Patriots, the Dolphins, and the like Bills. Dumb team. Some stupid team. <laughs> well. Like Panthers or something. Nope. Who was it? What about a dumb team that you hold very near and dear? Go Birds? The Eagles? Go Birds! Wow. The Philadelphia oh, Eagles. freaking Matt Aberflus. Hustle, intensity, integrity, love the game, <laughs> die for the game, freaking whatever. Yeah, so, 
it, it is notable just because missed tackles used to be a huge, huge issue for those Mike Pettin defenses. But it turned into a, a huge strength for the Packers last season. Um, I don't know if that's totally a credit to Joe Barry, but he is really, really obsessed with using moving objects to drill tackling in practice. Uh, doesn't think there's really any point in a tackling dummy that's actually a dummy because it's a dummy and it just sits there and real football players move, which I think there's some logic to that. Um, but they only missed 87 tackles last season, uh, only behind the Broncos. So the Eagles were the leader in, um, the Eagles were the best tackling team in the NFL per PFF grading. The Broncos had the fewest missed tackles, um, but the Packers were second in both categories. Uh, again, if you play that much zone, important. Adrian Amos, very, very good tackler. Right. Devondre Campbell, same goes. Rashawn Gary, not too shabby. Pretty good stuff. I wonder if zone defense would just measure better in that period. Because you got a zone defense, you plan to tackle. Whereas man coverage, you don't really plan to right. tackle. You plan to cover. Right. That's interesting. Um, I, I think I was, yeah, I was thinking the yeah. same thing, actually. Okay. Anyway, because um, the Eagles, listen, maybe the best tackling team last year, but I'm here to tell you, not a good defense. Uh, so you got to be careful with these things. Uh, last category. The second you said it's going to be some dumb team. Because it like, is. Oh. It's absolutely ridiculous that the Eagles are the best tackling team in the league. Um, what's the last category? Kryptonite? Kryptonite. Uh, the scariest word in all of football. Regression. Uh, we have talked a lot about what Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas meant to this team and currently mean to this team. Yep. We were not talking about Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas at this time last year because we did not think that this was going to be a thing that was happening. And those are two really integral players to the Packers this year. The Packers have, have behind Devontae Campbell, they only have Quaves. First-round rookie linebacker. I liked Quay coming out. Hope Quay is good, but obviously not really something you want to hang your hat on. They lived and died by Devontae Campbell last year. He saved them out of everything. He was the only linebacker that was playable for them on base downs. They Campbell cannot... That was the best season Campbell's ever had. He cannot take a step back. Douglas, who like, oh, he's corner three. Yeah, he's a starter. Uh, because they're like uh, they're they're obviously when they're in their base, they're gonna live with five down defensive linemen, two linebackers because they're an odd front. They're gonna be able to pass rush with Gary on one side pressing on the other side, who Gary is another dude for regression because he's coming off his best season. But generally, I think Gary's just getting better. I, I like where he's at. They'll they'll live with four defensive backs in base, but they're really not gonna play base that much. They're gonna have to play nickel a lot. And like I said, they do not have a safety three. And they do not have a corner four. It's Shamar, John Charles, and Vernon Scott, I think, who played like eight snaps last season. They, they, there is no depth behind Douglas. And so if Douglas regresses, which Douglas is a very aggressive player. He's a little bit in the Trevon Diggs family where he's going to make a lot of plays on the ball, but he's also going to make a lot of mistakes. If he catches some bad luck and comes back down to earth where he was when he was bouncing from the Panthers to the Cardinals to the Eagles to whatever, they do not really have too much of an insurance plan behind him right now. So, uh, this defense is loaded stem to stern. I like their defensive coordinator. I like their defense approach. A lot of reasons to have a lot of faith in the Packers' defense this year. But they do need a couple of veteran players who stepped up into huge roles for them to remain effective in those huge roles, which is a scary thing to have to rely on. I love the idea that they're loaded stem to stern. I love when Silk just throws boat terms out. It's good. It's like good. He's been good fishing for a month. Alliterative idiom, man. I think you're right. Like regression, I think, is like a term people hate because they're like, don't use math to tell me about my team. But all it's I think I think you're right. So like and all people are all it really means is that like all these people giving you like their unbelievable best years might not happen again. And I think it's important to note because the Packers offense just regressed last year because in 2020, the Packers had the best red zone offense 
basically ever, four out of every five trips to the red zone, they scored a touchdown. And we're like, oh, it's probably going to regress. And Packers fans got mad. But like last year, they did three out of five. And that doesn't sound like much, but it's the difference between the best year on record versus below average in just 2021. So I, I agree that they're probably must be due for some level of regression and not just get career years from like five people. Was regression also your kryptonite, Danny? No, my kryptonite, maybe this is cheating, but I just chose the San Francisco 49ers. Because <laughs> so I don't did really I. Know what, Amen, I mean, brother. The 49ers have beaten the, knocked the Packers out of the playoffs four of the last 11 seasons. That's insane. <laughs> the scariest. The Green Bay Packers go to sleep at night and they they dream nightmares of a man in a flatbed hat. Had him, with the Grim they Reaper. had him beat. They beat him yeah. last year. And then the punting unit had to come onto the field. Unbelievable. Yeah, maybe the kryptonite is their own special team. Yes. You know how but, fantasy is. Having 10 it? men on yeah. the field for that last that last field goal. I mean, I, I, I do kind of buy that I think Shan, Kyle Shanahan does a little bit live a little rent-free in, in Matt LaFleur's head. And I, I just, yeah, I, I, it Me just too. must be insane. Also, let's not forget that the 49ers are the team that took Alex Smith over Rodgers and that Rodgers hates with like an unholy fury. And the fact that this team, having moved on from Alex Smith, this all started really with Colin Kaepernick taking over Smith. And basically all the quarterbacks that have come after Alex Smith in succession are the ones who beat Rodgers is kind of like insane. It's like Shakespearean. Well, so there's also, this is a little facetious, right? Because the um, Packers losing to the 49ers for the last time uh, was not the fault of their defense, certainly. However, no, it's cheating, a, but it's funny. It's funny cheating, so we allow it. Also, there is uh, not specific to that game, but there is a kernel of truth here where this defense, like a lot of good modern defenses, is essentially daring their opponents to run the ball. They play with a lot of light boxes. And so the teams that are more likely to mess them up are the ones who are not upset by being asked to do that. Teams built like the San Francisco 49ers among them. Uh, I think it was Ben who mentioned that there are some issues with covering tight ends here. Um, George Kittle mm -hmm. is, is not a person who I want to be dealing with if I'm a member of the Green Bay Packers defense. Um, that's not exactly a unique situation for an NFL defense, but they... Um, had some issues with tight ends, had some issues against the run, uh, 4.7 rushing yards per attempt allowed, which was 30th last season. Um, they're just a bad run defense team in general, which is an okay thing to be, but it is the type of thing that if you get a bad matchup, um, can hurt them. It also makes the Devontae Wyatt selection, I think, interesting because uh -huh. you do see them trying to mitigate, okay, well, who can we put there at defensive tackle who can just take up space and allow us to keep the configuration on the back that we want, but not be totally liable. If we do face a team like San Francisco and Jimmy is less inclined just to try his hardest to hand, hand uh, the game away before the special teams unit decides to make that an impossibility. This was fun guys. Yeah, we, we, we got got to know the unit. Absolutely. I feel like we know the unit very well. And you yeah. two were so lovely to do this that I think you deserve to get to rename the segment. Um, So thank you for joining for the first inaugural oh. absolute, absolute Units. Can we name the unit? Can we name the Absolute Unit instead? Can we just call it Connor McGovern? And we have two different segments called Connor McGovern. <laughs> I think that's a little uh, abstract, Danny. 
I'm not sure people would really know what they're... I'm not sure people know what we're doing anyway, but I'm pretty sure if we just called the segment Connor McGovern, (laughs) it might be a little bit harder to figure out. But we can do like a a, a bi-weekly Connor McGovern check-in or something. The Connor McGovern index. We just check on who's who's taking over the Connor McGovern. This week in Connor McGovern news. Yeah. All right. This has been the Ringer NFL show. Thank you to Danny and Ben for joining me. Uh, We will be back next Wednesday. You can check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Guide at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for production on this episode and to Arjuna Ramgopal for additional production supervision. 